The reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapters 15, verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 32. By this time, a lot of men and women of questionable reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled, he takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Their grumbling triggered this story. Then he said, once, there once was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to feel it. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a prize-winning heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. All this time, his older son was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling over one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on. He told him, your brother came home. Your father has ordered a feast, barbecued beef, because he has made him home safe and sound. The older brother stomped off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, look how many years I've stayed here, serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours who has thrown, uh, thrown away your money on whores shows up and you go all out with a feast. This brother of yours was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh God, we come to you gathered from various places, from various emotions, 
As we watch the world, our heart aches, and yet at the same time, there is such beauty around us. We pray, O oh God, that you might gather us in, that we might hear your word proclaimed, that we might sing with joy and thanksgiving, that our prayers might be earnest and honest and vulnerable and true. So gather us in, O oh God, that we may hear you, and in so doing may be transformed and sent out. In your name we pray. Amen. My first musical card was a fuzzy red heart that was given to me by a very special friend in middle school. Upon opening the card, it would sing, I'm not a great singer, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little love. This song that was released in 1965 and made popular by, does anyone know? Jackie DeShannon has the making of a good earwig. You know, a song that gets stuck in your head and you sing it over and over, even if you'd rather not. Since remembering the particular card that I thought was the coolest and sweetest thing I'd ever received, I've walked around humming that song and that line over and over. I even awoke in the middle of the night, Wednesday night, singing it. So if it gets stuck in your head, you are very welcome. What was true in 1965 is still true today. What the world needs now is love. We have and will always need love, sweet love. But we are also in desperate need of grace the grace we receive and the grace that we offer. The Christian understanding of grace is unmerited favor. It is what God offers us without our deserving or earning it. Grace is God's favor and love that is poured out upon us despite the many ways that we harm ourselves, others, and the world and find ourselves turning from God. Grace is the father running to welcome the prodigal who has spent every last dime of his inheritance and is returning smelling of filth and shame. Grace is that same father gently coaxing his older self-righteous son into the party with affirmations of love rather than naming his son's arrogance. Grace is the ability to reject the judgment seat. Grace is hoping for the best for someone, even when that someone has offended our idea of right and wrong, which makes grace feel nearly impossible. And yet what the world needs is grace. First, let me say that I'm speaking as one who has yet to master the art of offering grace to another, especially if I think they don't deserve it, which of course is the very definition of grace. A while ago, but not that long ago, a person I trusted offended my sense of right and wrong. I was hurt by their actions and by the words spoken behind my back. Their behavior, the narrative that was created, and the power used against me left me angry, hurt, and feeling betrayed. I was enraged. I sobbed. I cried out for justice. I wanted them to know, to see, and to understand my pain. At times, the worst part of me wanted them to fail. 
Still to this day, if I pick at that wound a little too much, I find I am resentful of the goodness in their life. As I said, I have not mastered the art of offering grace. I share that story, which is a little bit vague, because while it's specific to me, I'm guessing it could have, I could have been telling one of your stories. Few of us make it through life without feeling betrayed at least once. None of us make it through without being hurt. And we have all known people who offend our sense of morality and justice. So we judge others and sometimes harshly. It's easy to detest a person who does not see the world as we do, especially if we feel that they are ethically and morally wrong. And so we withhold grace. And deep down, we do not believe that God should offer it to them either. We wish there were a scorecard or at least some kind of delineation of offenses. Surely some sins are worth God smiting a person rather than offering grace. See how easy it is for me to jump in the judgment seat. This is why we understand the older brother. He wants justice and fairness, not lavish grace that throws a party. And to be fair, he has a point. The younger brother demanded his inheritance, essentially telling his father that he was dead to him. He then squandered it and returned not because he felt guilty, but because he was hungry and he knew that his father's hired hands ate well. He said, all my, those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, father, I sinned against God. I sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. Clever, wouldn't you say? He did not start out with, I feel terrible. I have betrayed my father and treated him with utter disrespect. No, he said, I am hungry. And the farmhands on my father's farm have three meals a day. His belly sent him home, not his guilt or his sense of duty to his family. The older brother, the one who has stayed and tended to the farm and in his mind has been a really good son, is outraged by the injustice of grace. It isn't fair, but grace isn't about fairness. Grace lives in a sphere above and beyond fairness, which is why it so often offends us. It feels offensive to our sense of justice and fairness to know that one who has hurt us may experience grace and even abundance and joy. Our refusal to offer grace, however, has much the same effect as withholding forgiveness. It is not the target of our ire that is wounded, but ourselves. Imagine the story of the prodigal told without grace. The youngest son approaching his father with an apology in his mouth, no matter how insincere, would have been turned away by the father, hurling insults, bemoaning his victimization, and he would have heaped shame upon his child. The relationship would have been severed, maybe forever. The lack of grace, while it may have seemed justifiable or even fair, destroys all those involved nothing is gained. In this case, the father would have permanently lost his son and left with anger and probably one day 
regret. Grace makes room for growth. Grace is the hope that transformation and maybe even healing are possible. Grace makes space for that, that which could be. Notice that the younger son does not complete his speech, but changes it when his father runs to greet him with exuberant joy. Father, I sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. He doesn't mention being hired as a hand. For the first time, we hear echoes of regret and humility. Grace is also what we desire for ourselves when we are the ones to offend. Early in my healing process, my therapist, a practicing Buddhist who offers brilliant insights on the regular, reminded me that we are the other, including the one that has offended us. It isn't that there are good people and bad people and that our job is to point out the bad people. It's that we are all people good and bad, beautiful, broken. I was not quite ready at the time to see the one who hurt me in myself. And yet, if I am honest, I know it's true. I know that while I strive to live a good and faithful life, I too fall short, quite short. I read situations incorrectly and make assumptions that are based on my bias. I filter everything through my own lens and experience and my opinions. I am selfish. I hurt others and I have been unaware of the pain that I have caused. And yet I need and I want grace for myself because I know that without it, I cannot grow. I cannot thrive. I cannot heal. As Kristen Powers says in an article, based on her book, Saving Grace. Grace is first and foremost a matter of the heart. It's an orientation toward the world and other people that keeps us from going down the road of judgment and labeling, which in the end harms us more than anybody else. The only way to free ourselves, to live in relationship with others, to seek healing, to tend to the inner life and the heart is to offer grace, even though it feels impossible and certainly not deserved or earned, but it wouldn't be grace if it were. I think it's important to pause here and say what grace is not. It is not allowing ourselves to be used or abused. It does not ask you to stay in situations that are harmful to your mind, body, or spirit. It is not silencing your voice. It does not assume we agree, but allows for passionate disagreement, big feelings and deep convictions. Grace does not mean that you like the person. Grace and love are not tied to friendship or compatibility. It does not require you to become other than you are. It simply makes space for others to not be you. It offers them space to grow, to learn, to change, and it allows you the same. It shifts our worldview and takes us out of the judgment seat. Grace does not suggest that the father must stuff his feelings. Amid his joy of his son's 
return after thinking him dead, there must still have been hurt. Grace welcomes the son home, but makes space for the father to say at some point, I was hurt that you asked for the inheritance and then you left me. I am still hurt and I'm still sad and I am thrilled you are home. It may take time for me to heal, but I want you to stay. The father is not a doormat. He has agency and choice and has given his son the same. He has also made room for repentance or a change of heart and behavior. Grace does not follow repentance, but it makes it possible. Without the father's welcome, the son would have most likely continued his thieving, conniving ways. I'm also not suggesting that we run out and immediately offer grace to every person that has ever wronged us or with whom we vehemently disagree. I do not advocate that for forgiveness either. The practice of offering grace is an orientation, a desire, an area of growth, and something that comes as we experience grace. There is also still a role for justice, the judicial system within society and reparations. A person can be held accountable for their actions. Grace does not suggest otherwise. My friends, today, it is enough to rest in the awareness that God's grace is for you, that nothing can separate you from the grace and love of God, no matter how far you wander, no matter what you have done, no matter how imperfect, how good and bad, how beautiful and broken, you are surrounded and held by grace. You have room to grow, to change and become, and so does your neighbor. So does the one who offends you. When we live more fully into this reality with gratitude and joy, there is grace to offer, even though it may seem impossible. So we believe. So let us live. Amen.